Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 Episode 4 Among the Lotus Eaters is over, but we are just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello everybody, my name is Mike Bloom, I fly the podcast, here to soar through yet another fantastic episode of Strange New Worlds. But of course, I am not manning this helm alone, I am no Erica Ortegas, I do have someone alongside me working the dial, someone that I would never forget because she resides in my heart. And that's the lesson we take away from this episode. It is the great Jessica Lee. Jess, how are you? Doing great, Mike. I don't remember very much about my life, but I have this feeling that I can watch a TV show and then talk about it on the internet and that I, I believe I could do those things. So I think, I think we're going to be good. Is that's the reason why you're really into tattoos is you didn't even realize like the backdoor memento of it all of, yeah, well, I guess if I do go on to a strange planet and I lose my memories, I'd be able to like remember names that I at least care about those names or iconography. Yeah, it sure seems like somebody should have had like, well, the one guy blotted out all his remember Sammy Jankus business. So it's not a it's not a fail safe because one day you just get in a fit of peak and you erase all your tattoos and then where are you? Yeah, who would have thought that they would have had all this Starfleet weaponry on the planet, but no laser tattoo removals. They had to just basically obfuscate it via a permanent Sharpie by hand. Yep, every morning, get up, Sharpie your tattoo. <laughs> well, let's not blot over this particular episode of A Strange New World. And I know that we've come in here the past couple of weeks with this edict of Strange New Worlds likes to take old Star Trek conceits with a bit of a modern day lens applied to it. Of the four episodes so far, this felt like the most distinctly the former without necessarily the latter to me. I mean, this felt from minute one to minute 57, very much like an old school episode of Trek to the point where we are following up on a plot point mentioned in The Cage. The very first glance we get of Christopher Pike and Spock and number one and Star Trek as a franchise. So it was a really interesting thing to follow up on. I do like this element obviously cherry picking from Pike's past and figuring out like, well, he was in quite the tizzy when we saw him in the cage from whatever happened on Rigel seven. Let's follow up on it and following up on it in a very differently horror tinged episode. I would say than the couple of episodes we got in that vein from last season, whereas episode nine was much more of like your survival alien extraterrestrial horror. This type of horror was much more personal. We have talked, obviously, about the Star Trek trope of everyone gets afflicted with this mysterious condition and they have to learn how to solve it. Hell, this was something that happened in the very first season of Strange New Worlds. But I don't know, Jess, I just think, for me, this idea of losing your memories and it's starting slow at first and then snowballing to, like, this very debilitating condition felt almost too relatable and as a result felt even scarier compared to like the actual frights we've gotten previously in this series. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's, it's essentially getting dementia, 
is what yeah. it is. But I want to go back to something that you said um, a, a minute ago, because this was something that really stuck out to me is the fact that they were able to spin this entire episode out from a throwaway line in the original Star Trek pilot that, you know, very few people have seen the whole thing. Um, and I wanted to see if we could dig into, like, this is the thing that bothers me so much about the Star Wars universe. Mm. And I can't figure out why I think it works so well in the Star Trek universe, because I was specifically thinking about the fact that the solo movie spins out the entire premise of that movie from the throwaway line of I made the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. Mm -hmm. And so they make a movie about him doing the Kessel run in 12 parsecs. It made me so mad because it's like, Oh, we just, we're making whole movies about single lines now, but this felt so organic and fully formed in a way that Star Trek, Star Trek does very well. And Star Wars does not. And I can't tell if it's just like, is this me liking Star Trek better and giving it more of a pass? Or is this something that, like, are they really doing this better? I mean, as you love to say, Jess, por que no los dos. I think that where it might differ is that perhaps Solo is trying to base an entire movie around, like, an action-based plot point of, oh, I accomplished this sort of miraculous feat of Star Fairy. Whereas this felt like more of an emotional thematic plot point to come mm -hmm. back to of pike feeling like he was the one as he'll vocalize in this episode responsible for the disaster that was that landing party losing those three people nearly losing you know his science officer the much beloved spock along the way and so that is something he carries in his heart not to say that han solo doesn't but i think he, t he touts it more as an accomplishment than like trying to get inside captain pike's head going into that episode which again is still a prequel to it i did kind of wish we get a pretty montage previously on here i wish they did what they did in discovery season two and just did a previously on with the lines from the cage that you're referencing yeah i loved that that was really fun um and yeah i think you're right it's it's that we know he's upset and we know this thing made him upset so there's something there to go back to like, why did it make him feel this way? We don't really, Han Solo doesn't feel things at that point in Star Wars. So we don't really have a sense of how he felt about anything. And this one, you know, it actually ties very nicely with the entire overarching theme of the episode. Like, this is causing a feeling. Let's dig into what that feeling is and where it came from. It's very meta. And not only that, the idea of someone that has very much lived in your heart but they think you have forgotten about them and how that resides in acrimony within their own heart and how they use that to take it out on you. There's a lot to dig into, both facts and feelings. So let's start out here with a wallop of feelings because after the whole trial snafu, Pike and Patel are going to try to make it work. Just after this episode, should we be on like Batel Death Watch here? Because to your point about trying to connect things canonically... I mean, Pike goes to run away and live on Talos, right? We have to assume that Patel isn't in the picture by the time Pike's accident happens. Yeah, I mean, it could be anything. Like, this is this is some, like, what happened to Kim Wexler during the events of Breaking Bad business. Mm. Like, she could be dead. She could have run away. She could have dumped him. There's a lot of things that could be happening here, but... Mike, did you discuss this when she showed up earlier, the fact that she is Mrs. McMurray from Letterkenny? No, I did not discuss this at all. You are much more entrenched into the Canadian stuff than I am. I am the Kirk and you are the Laon in this instance. It's very true. It's, it's, but I cannot picture her without a gin and tonic in her hand. So it is a very different character from this actress. And I've seen her in other things as well. She was also in the very excellent and even more Canadian than Letterkenny, if you can believe it. Ooh. The series being Erica, she had a small role in that as well. And and again, it was this disconnect. Like she plays these very different characters. And this character, I think, I agree with number one. I think she's good for Pike. And I'm interested to see, like maybe she just gets promoted and it's not a good idea to be in a relationship with somebody who ranks below you i'm i'm not sure there's a lot of ways this could go 
I mean, it worked for the Freemans on lower decks, right? At least so far, so good. But to your point, it seems like she is looking for that promotion. She and the captain are looking to reconnect, get back on the same page. They're using this joint mission as an opportunity to do so. Pike even made his special sauce, but it turns out that sauce will grow cold as, of course, work gets in the way. Battelle finds out that she was passed over for a promotion to Commodore, and they just kind of let everything spill out on the dinner table right? How Pike feels like he is the one that's ruining Battelle's career because, of course, his effect on all things Starfleet. And so he suggests that they pump the brakes a little bit in an episode that is all about manning the helm. She clearly does not like that. And it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe this is just like my own, you know, male biases showing like I didn't see anything inherently wrong with Pike's argument initially until Una brings up like, this is something you always do. Yeah, that's not, he's using that as an excuse. That's not really why he's trying to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I, I didn't really realize it as well. Maybe it's because we also like have not seen him in romantic relationships before. If this was more of a trend a la Kirk, I think it would make sense that as Una is going to point out, when someone gets too close to him, he finds reasons to push them away. I think part of it is maybe his fear of trying to let people get too close, especially given his future diagnosis. But what he's also going to speak about in this moment, which is we're responsible for people's lives. That's enough of a thing to handle. I have to dedicate my time to everyone else's rather than my own. Yeah, he was he was trying to it's not you, it's me, her. Yeah, and it's clearly she did not take, which is another reason why I like the character as well. Is like she sees right through his bullshit. There's a reason why she's a captain as well. Yeah, she's like, this is 300 years old at this point. It's not you, it's me doesn't work anymore. Yeah, well, speaking of old skeletons coming out of the closet, this is where we get a sort of previously on about Rigel 7. They were there five years ago. There was a routine exploration mission, and they found the Kalar, which was a Bronze Age-esque people that were organized into a warrior class and a ruling class. They sent down a small landing party. It was ambushed. They lost three people, or so they thought they did, and they nearly lost Spock in the process. And why they came back is that We've had little Starfleet satellites just taking routine pics of the planet, and they happen to spy a little Starfleet Delta down there. And so Occam's Razor would dictate, oh, someone just like left a comm badge behind errantly before they left the planet. They didn't do a full clean sweep, and as a result, now they base an entire religion behind it. It's going to get much more complicated than that. Yeah, this is no mere cargo cult, Mike. Yeah, exactly. So... Ortegas is going to give a log here. At the outset, Jess, I have to ask, when you hear Ortegas give the log, or even when you find one of these smatterings of previously ons dedicated to her, are you fist pumping knowing we're going to get at least some sort of skosh of an Ortegas storyline this episode? Oh, I freaking love Ortegas. She's the best. Um, and I... I realized why I have so much affection for Ortegas this episode, and it's because... Is it the hat? <laughs> well, I mean, who doesn't love the hat, but... It's supreme, according to her. Yes. It's because she basically... She's like a younger version of Lori Petty. Oh, yeah. Am I right? Am I yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, she could be a tank girl had, you know, they, things gone a different way. If they were in Kirk's Earth and things went south, like, she could have been very much piloting things in the post-apocalyptic wasteland. Sure, she could pilot a tank, for sure. Yeah, uh, but right now, she is stuck piloting the Enterprise. She's super pumped. She never gets to go on away missions, but because there's so much shit in the air on Rigel 7, she has to be manning the shuttles the entire time to navigate through these tight spaces, Except Pike is going to stop her right there, throw some cold water on these admirations and say that she has to be stuck manually piloting Enterprise basically every 20 minutes. And when she asks who's going to fly, Pike's like, oh, I used to be a test pilot. Between him and number one, who also says that she used to be at the helm before being promoted, does everyone in command have to be a pilot at some point? Well, I think you have to at least take those classes at the academy. Because you have to understand what you're delegating to. Like, I think it's different from being a science officer. I think it's a clearer track to be to go from helm to command than it would be from like science to command. So you basically have to be a bit more liberal arts when it comes to a command path, considering you have to know a little bit about everything that happens on the ship. 
Absolutely right. You know, the liberal arts are important. You know, yeah. you can't just be STEM focused. Yeah, I completely agree. Though, again, it's all about what you learn and keep in your heart for the remaining time on this planet. Like, if I were to lose my memory now, for some reason, the Meisner technique would be something that I would just instinctually know, even though it would not be applicable to either my current life nor that life as well. Yeah, yeah, I feel like I, I could come up with some, like, lengthy diatribe about monuments and memorials in Central Europe post-World War II, but, you know, anything practical, like, could I heal a wound or make a fire? Probably not. Yeah, we would definitely doom the away team and the home team as well if we were somehow on the crew of the Enterprise. Yeah, like, don't send the anthropologist down on the Enterprise when you're on the away mission. Well, who is being sent down is Pike, La'an, and Mbenga, and there's a particular reason why is because, at least in the moment, they figure these are very primal fighting people. We're thinking about armor and spears, right? That's the line from the cage that I think Pike talks about, that those were the things he wasn't expecting that led to the assumed death of his away team. And so he wants to pick essentially like the most kick-ass hand-to-hand people to take anyone down should things go south. And they do very quickly but for a different reason entirely, as La'an starts to display and the two men do shortly thereafter, she hears a ringing in her ears, then she starts getting lightheaded, and then, memento style, we just get outright time skips, and not in the way that we were doing last episode, more in a completely blackout for six hours at a time type of thing. Yeah, yeah, it it was... It's it's cool that we're taking kind of a similar concept and spinning it in a different direction. That's like that's like Black Mirror territory at this point. Yeah, it reminds me of the TNG episode that had them doing the time loop again and again and trying to figure out exactly mm-hmm. what went wrong. Uh, I always love that type of thing. Obviously, this is not a time loop, but obviously playing into the perpetually moving forward while also kind of yada yachting through the transit and everything while also trying to get our characters grounded the more and more they're losing their perspicacity and sense of location both mentally and physically i thought was a very nice gradually done effect i'll admit the first half of this episode i was a little like okay on because again it was really calling back to me to that third episode of season one with the illyrians and all the crew getting sick with like the light sensitivity and hemmer trying to blow up the ship and everything like that It was nice to have that go in a very different direction because as much as that is a trope, I didn't necessarily want to see it twice in two seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Or I'm thinking, and like, Mike, you know, this is not my wheelhouse of shows, but there was there not an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where everyone loses their memories and then they try to use context clues to make some really incorrect assumptions about who they are to each other and what they're doing there. Oh yeah, not, let me bring it back again to space. There was an episode of TNG about that where they all woke up and tried to figure out who was what. This was where Riker was hooking up with Ensign Rowe that like Picard didn't think he was the captain. I think he thought Worf was for a second because he was the most highly decorated. So yeah, it is a tried and true thing that can sometimes be used as comedy. But again, I really give the show kudos here for doing it in I think a more dramatic, tense way and also kind of putting a clock on it and also a villain behind it as the three of them are going to get immediately intercepted by the Kalar and brought inside the palace to meet this supreme leader and it is Zack who was one of the previous yeomen who was presumed dead and he has this sort of like Khan-esque grudge to pick with Pike considering that he believes Pike left him high and dry on Rigel 7. This really is like an accidental Khan, more of a Home Alone thing than a Wrath of Khan thing. Yeah, you're vapor. Yeah, exactly. But Zack is obviously feeling a certain way. The Starfleet Delta that served as the sigil is completely coincidental, though they just happened to like find it on his uniform and adapted an entire civilization around it. What did you think about Zack as the villain here? Because I could see in another episode they write the plot so that like this reveal isn't in the first or second act. This is something when Pike comes back and faces down with Zach, that that's when Zach reveals why he's been so evil this entire time. No, it's a, it's an interesting choice for sure. And I think, I think you're right that that was a deliberately, that was a deliberately done thing to subvert that trope because, you know, in a lesser, like in the the original series, 
not even a lesser thing. In the original series, if they were doing this episode, it would be like we would tell the story of Zack and then they would land on the planet and people would talk about the people in the palace and they would talk about them in abstract terms like great leader and we love great leader and he tells us to do things. And then it would be like, the only way we can fix what's wrong is if we go see great, Le- great leader and he goes in and gets his memories back and it's Zach and, <gasps> but this is better. Or it's, or it's Clint Howard. Yes. It would definitely Little baby Clint Howard, baby Clint Howard. Yeah. What I do find interesting as well is that like, they pretty much reveal all the quote unquote twists in this scene, not only with Zach's revelation that he is alive and is this later, but also him explicitly saying, yeah, it's the radiation that's causing you to lose your memory. So we're going to strand you in the outdoors so that you lose it all. Again, I feel like in a different episode of Star Trek, this would be a mystery. What's happening to all the crew that's going to get resolved in the final act when, you know, one of the remaining crew members that doesn't have this afflict them comes in and saves the day. The fact that they brought this in from the get-go was almost a little like poker facey to me in terms mm-hmm. of mystery of, okay, we sort of know the outcome. Now let's try to watch the characters come to the same conclusion as we do. Yeah, and I mean, I've been loving poker face and it's, you know, that's a tradition that goes back to Columbo. Right. Um, or even like a law and order criminal intent did something similar, I believe. But it's really fun to, it's really fun to give the audience the pieces of the puzzle and then watch them enjoy the journey of having the characters put those pieces back together. And the fact that you can do it by effectively hitting the reset button on everybody's memories, like they had all the pieces and now they don't have the pieces, but we have the pieces. I think that's, a really fun storytelling tactic that we don't get very often. And yeah. I, I really like watching that all come back together because we know, we know what, and we know why, and now we get to find out how. Right. There really is sort of a diverse path in terms of twists of, do you let the audience know ahead of time and watch the characters figure out, or do you figure it out alongside the characters? And there are benefits and drawbacks to both. But what I like is, again, that moderation, that it's not going to be one style all the time, that here they decide to throw in, yeah, we as an audience are going to know up front. And not only there's are these characters not going to know, they wouldn't even have the mental capacity to do so, considering that not only on the planet, but now in the Enterprise, things are going awry. Ahura is starting to hear rings and starting to black out. We get some uh, nice chapel triage as she points out that her synaptic degradation is happening all over the brain and it is quickly spreading. I am intrigued, Jess, because again, I keep comparing this to the third episode of the series where number one seemed to be the only one that was immune from all of this because of her Illyrian background and her quick ability to heal. I was a little surprised that people like her and Spock, who is only half human and has you know a different physical quality because he's half Vulcan, I'm surprised they were still susceptible to it, but A, I didn't want to see the exact same beats repeated again, and B, radiation is radiation, I suppose, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, I really, I didn't need to see, and we, to your point, we've had that episode before where mysterious affliction afflicts everybody except the one unafflicted person whose job it is to save everybody. Um, That goes all the way back to the animated series, Mm. It was the one that everybody turned into babies and it was like up to the last two old people to fix everything. So let's go back down and meet the Kalar, the working man's Kalar, as they rouse the like now nearly completely wiped Mbenga, Pike, and La'an. And they are immediately thrown into a work camp. But luckily they have a friendly face. The welcome wagon is headed up by this guy, Luke, who is going to fill in a bit of the plot holes here that this radiation doesn't make you forget things that you might have known since you were perhaps one of those babies, like how to walk and how to talk, but you forget more so, uh, I think, what is, uh, what's Chapel going to refer to it? Uh, explicit memories, right? Like things you have remembered from five minutes ago to perhaps five years ago to even your own identity. But luckily we're not going to have our away team like, babbling like idiots and crawling around on the ground yeah well this is like somebody's been reading their oliver Sacks clearly because we're getting like there are definitely cases of amnesia that operate exactly this way like you remember all of your like tactile functions but you may not necessarily remember who you are or anything that happened to you and 
this also comes up a lot. Like, Mike, I know you are a musician. You've mm-hmm. played the piano. You've probably done that thing where you sit down at the piano and your fingers know how to play the piece. Yeah. And you don't remember exactly what the next note is. And it was always something that my teachers would have to push me to do. It's like, okay, your fingers can play it, but your brain also has to play it. Right. That's the thing. And I really like how, again, they were able to thread the needle as Ortegas mm-hmm. does with this, because it's a really difficult corner to write your way out of. Of How is our crew going to get out of this situation where they don't even know who they are? But luckily, this idea of banking on your emotional, instinctive gut and relying on it when your brain can't, I think it's a really cool thing that, honestly, I'm surprised we don't get as much of a focus on Spock with all this, especially given that in the previously on, we see yet again him releasing his emotions and struggling between that heart versus head thing. I felt like this was a perfect serve up for him to try to reconcile with that. But instead, he's kind of reduced to just being a bit of a sputtering mess as Ortega saves the day. Yeah, I I love like amnesiac Spock trying to lecture somebody on emotions. And it's like, that's the only thing he remembers how to do. That that was a very, that was a very interesting character note. I mean, speaking of interesting character notes, La'an obviously doesn't get as much to do in this episode compared to the previous one. And in fact, she's about to be sidelined for a little while as she and Pike decide to take out the two guards that are guarding them and she gets slashed along the way and requires immediate medical attention. But I do think the La'an that we see wake up in that cage feels very different from the La'an that we've seen before. And maybe it's yet again referring to that previously on when she loosely refers to the fact that she keeps her emotions in check and she's largely cool and reserved. I wonder if this La'an is closer to like this frightened girl that Una found on that Gorn ship back in the day. Yeah, it is an interesting thing that, well, the first time she wakes up, like the only thing she remembers how to do is like beat the snot out of people, which I think is very Laon esque. Mm-hmm. But then when she has a little bit more vulnerability, I think that is that is a new layer of her. Yeah, and we'll talk about it later on. But her small note of talking about how the bad memories oftentimes mean as much as the good ones do, and making them who you are, I think carries a lot of weight considering the ending of last episode. You and I speculated a lot. How much of that revelation from La'an is she going to carry into this episode? And initially, again, the first half of the episode, I thought, okay, are we just completely obfuscating this? But I don't know, maybe I'm projecting. I feel like that little note was the writers hinting at what happened to her in the previous episode, that she cannot share this pain with anyone else. But one of the reasons why she lets her ancestor live is because she realized that pain helped inform who she became as a person. Yeah, and again, this is also a difficult needle to thread, narratively speaking. The ability to weave in things that have happened from previous episodes, but also make each episode a self-contained thing, is something that Strange New Worlds is doing so well. Like You can jump in and out, and you don't have to be following every previous episode. There's not arcs to this. But there are. There are, Mm. but there aren't. Yeah. Speaking of jumping in and out, that's what's happening to the majority of the crew on the Enterprise in terms of their memories. Things are spreading fast. Spock has this workaround that everyone just carry around a personal file so they remember who they are. That gets thrown out the airlock when Spock later on realizes he doesn't remember how to read. (laughs) I I love that he forgot how to read. And and again, like, Memento is not going to help you there then. Yeah. Exactly, unless you could read like ornate symbols and try to piece it together Rebus style like Spock was on claim to fame. So Spock is going to advise Ortegas, put the Enterprise in the debris field. Perhaps it can protect us from the radiation. Again, this is not a great look for Spock throughout this entire episode. And I love this moment in Ortegas's arc because she is going to kind of say with resignation, I fly the ship. And not only is that going to be turned around to a fantastic word of affirmation later on, but I think it perfectly reflects in the moment her frustration with this away mission of I'm being kind of pigeonholed into doing this one thing that, yes, I'm very good at, but I want to explore other things. I want to move out of this freaking chair for the first time in five years. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, I feel like what Spock needed to do there is he needed to have a little audio button 
so that he could have his bio read back to him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think Ortega was able to unlock what somehow yeah. nobody else on the Enterprise watch was just ask the computer. Though I suppose if you don't remember the computer, maybe it's the computer's fault. Should the computer have done more of a clippy, I see you're trying to make your way down to your quarters. May I assist you with that? And therefore be able to get everyone up to speed with their identity. Mike, we know what happens when you put Clippy on the ship. Like, we don't need Badgie jumping into all of this. Yeah, Badgie is sort of like the Zack to Rutherford's Pike, right? Like, Badgie would jump in there and take advantage of the fact that nobody remembers who they are. And then pretty soon you have a cult of Badgie. And honestly, isn't that what they actually have on Rigel 7? They literally saw Badgie as the sigil on the planet that put them down there in the first place. Yeah. So, you know, nobody wants that. But I do think, like, you know, computers could do this now, Mike. If somebody was disoriented in their smart home, the smart home would be like, hey, ask me questions. I will Mm -hmm. help you. And I think computer could have been a little more proactive there. Been like, you seem confused. Try asking me some more questions and I'll see if I can lead you in the right path. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, a bit more of like an Ask Jeeves type of search engine. Yeah, like we're not, you don't necessarily need to try to anticipate the person's need, but just making them aware that this resource is there was all Ortegas needed to figure it out. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, someone who would be refusing this resource in the moment is Luke, who takes the away team to his home as La'an is very badly bleeding out. Luke is already ready to like start saying the funeral rites and do away with her. He is going to vocalize his perspective as well as the rest of the Kalar, which is forgetting is a blessing. This idea of the things from your heart that you truly love remain. You just get rid of all the pesky trauma and embarrassments and anxieties that just weigh you down normally. Uh, And he also reveals the giant ass totem that's in the middle of his house, which tells the story of the Kalar that there are two types of people as deemed by the overseer, those who remember to plan the future and record the past, and those who forget to keep the work of the present continuing. And so it really informs the motto of Luke and the Kalar, and it turns out our couple of characters at the end here live in the moment. Yeah, YOLO. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And even if you only live once, there's a good chance we might not even remember that you lived in the first place. Exactly right, Mike. Um, This is like the most extreme twisted version of Eternal Sunshine in the Spotless Mind. (laughs) Exactly. All we just needed was a blue hair Kate Winslet to show up at the end of it. I mean, Ortega was kind of wearing that beanie that Jim Carrey does in that movie. Yeah, she did. That may have been an homage. Possibly. So yeah, Luke is really pumping forward this idea of you are guided by your emotions. They are the truth. But he's able to kind of use that logic as well. And this won't be the first time that a character is going to be able to use ass-backwards logic to get what they want at the end of the day to say, hey, your heart is telling you that you need to go inside the palace and get your memory back. So therefore, even though I don't believe in what you're saying, I guess I have to help you because that is your truth. Yep. Yep. And I, I liked the, I liked that he was relying on his gut in that moment. It's like, these people need help and I feel like I have to help them. It's like, calling back to something right and i also think that it speaks to the true ignorance is bliss part of him which he's obviously parading forward he will be as they continue to walk to the palace 
emphasis on bliss that like he is not going to be this shrewd native that's like do not interrupt our way of life i cannot help you turn away strangers you're on your own even though he initially blanches at the idea of them wanting their memories back he still will say listen this is your own truth and i'm going to help you get it at the end of the day and he will eventually come around to realize that they are right and he is wrong yeah and i I liked, like, you know, one of the great things about not having all that baggage is that he's receptive to this. Exactly. He has no previous experiences to weigh upon. I'm like, well, last time I did this, this happened. Luckily, he doesn't need to remember all his past mistakes where he trusted people too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's very freeing in that way. I mean, that also allows him to speak quite freely when he's walking, where he flat out says, like, psychoanalyzes himself and says, I am past the need to remember. I am afraid of the pain. Like, I feel like we could have done an easy deep dive into the character of he says that forgetting is the easier, lighter thing to do when really he's just acknowledging the fact that hurting is more complicated, but he outright says it. And the fact that he still acknowledges it yet decides to indulge in that ignorance is, again, a really interesting choice that I think informs a lot about humanity. If, you know, looking at the past like six years or so has also indicated that to us. Yeah, well, how do you think... Like in a post Zach world, how do you think that changes how people live? Like they can't obviously move everybody into the palace, right? Like, what do you think they do now? Like they will they the people that live outside of the palace? Do we let them come into the palace every so often and remember and decide whether they want to remember or forget? Well, the thing was they stepped in the enterprise and got rid of the source of the forgetfulness. We're okay. Now, people can live wherever they want. I think, though, if the radiation was a permanent thing, yeah, they'd have to do some sort of shift system, right? People trading off, like, every three to four days. And then it's almost like going on a vacation where, like, you put your out-of-office on, you go off into the blissful, ignorant environment, and you get to have fun sawing logs and chopping rocks for a few days. And then you come back to the palace and go back to your real life. Yeah, I, I, you could do that, like, just rotating on a rotating basis, like everybody puts in their time. Everybody does their military service. Now that feels like a Black Mirror episode. I suppose it's more of a severance thing, right? There's a novel I read about this, actually. Like there was a, you know, a, you know, post, you know, a, a capitalist dystopia where people voluntarily incarcerated themselves for six months in order to live like kings for the other six months. Mm, that's interesting. What were the results of it? I'm assuming not good. No, it was not good. <laughs> well, things are not good up on the Enterprise as Ortegas and Spock, seemingly the final two that had not been afflicted, are now fully on board. And Ortegas is going to take the flight side, uh, but not in the way that she will later on. She is going to take off for the turbo lift. She'll get guided down map quest style, complete with like an entire illuminated route back to her quarters. But the image we get, Jess, is like one that will stick with me from this episode where the doors open and everyone on the crew, including Nurse Chapel, is just kind of listlessly wandering around. They have nowhere to go. They don't know who they are, where they're supposed to be, where they are in general. And the more you think about it, the more frightening it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's... And of course, the Enterprise being like so soulless in its hallways it's like you're just wandering around this like bright white fluorescent led situation and you don't know where you're supposed to be that's really upsetting what makes things even more upsetting for ortegas is that she goes into her quarters and i feel like we don't we don't see this a lot on star trek just the like window side view of shields getting hit by debris as they just keep getting pelted with this space junk and i really give it to melissa navia she did a lot of great stuff in this episode i'm glad she was given the clearance to do so and here as she is like rocking herself crying desperately calling out for someone to help her again it was very terrifying for both her and i to watch yeah it was and she did a really she did a really good job of like coming apart and coming together again right and so that moment of coming together is that she is going to reach out to the computer for help because they did help her beforehand. And it asks, oh, do you want to plot a course? Because I know who you are. And she is able to get the computer to define who she is. And so she comes up with 
the fantastic credo of this episode. My name is Erica Ortegas. I fly the ship. And it becomes, at first, the statement of realization of her coming to terms with her own identity, to her realizing that she has to be the one to save the day, to her then striding back onto the bridge, confident, Spock looking like he's about to poop himself with, you know, little green turds, saying, hell yeah, I fly the ship. I'm the one to pull us out of this BS. Yeah, and I'm surprised that nobody else, like, watched her doing this and was like, wait, how'd you do that? I want to do that too. Yeah, she should have turned to Spock and was like, just ask the computer who you are. Yeah, yeah, that would have been... I, or it would have been weird if, like, other people saw her doing this and were like, oh, is that what I'm supposed to do, too? Is that who I am? Um, yeah, they it, might have just been too daft and in their own fields, which I guess is the thing behind the loss of memory to, like, even pay attention to what's going on. Hell, Chapel looked Ortegas in the eye and just completely turned and walked away. Yeah. So I, I think that maybe everyone is just in their own little bubble and Ortegas is so focused on the mission at hand that nobody is essentially wanting to break that bubble and realize, hey, what's this lady doing? It seems like she actually knows what's going on. Yeah, it really, and it, again, I think it goes back to like, you know what's true. And it, you could see someone doing that. It's like, oh, she's got it figured out, but that's not true for me. Mm. Like, you kind of know that instinctively, I feel like. Well, another character is about to realize his own memories as Pike has broken his way back into the palace and he and Zach are going to get into a bit of a firefight. The reason why Pike broke into the palace in the first place is because the totem tells the legend that within the people in the palace, they are able to carry forward with what they do because they keep their memories in a super special box in a casket. And so Pike asks where it is and Zach straight up laughs in his face not even believing that his former captain fell for that fairy tale. And what he's going to get in response to his impudence is like a whole can of whoop-ass unloaded here. And what I do find interesting is I initially assumed what Zach is going to talk about later on of, yeah, I'll tell you, Rigel really changes you. It shows, you know, a different side of yourself considering how aggro Pike went nearly killing Zach. But Pike is going to go full like Westworld season one, Jimmy Simpson style <laughs> and say that the planet doesn't change people. It makes you see who you really are. And that Pike does have this capacity for the dark side. I suppose I have Star Wars on the brain that if it comes down to his crew being in danger, like he'll do some shady shit. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty. Yeah. Yeah. It. I mean, I think that I think it does really sort of strip away everything and give you like essentially who the character is yeah when pike was talking with Battelle, i was thinking back to a lot of comments that were made about the character throughout strange new worlds first season about how he's a really interesting take on a captain oppositional to someone like kirk from that era who's more personified as especially in a modern lens more of like this hyper masculine kick ass, take names, get all the women type of mentality that Pike was someone who was more in touch with his feelings and a bit more empathetic and sensitive. But that there is a guy who got those liberal arts degrees that does know how how to fight at the end of the day. And if it comes down to protecting his crew, accomplishing the mission, etc., this guy is ready to get his hands dirty to get what he wants, especially when it invokes the emotions and the care that he has for people around him. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love that the writers know these characters so intimately that they can tell you, like, if you boil them down, like, what are they going to do in a situation if they don't even know who they are? I think that's really telling about how well-crafted this series is. So... Uh... Everyone is able to get back to normal. We have a scene where Mbenga and La'an and Luke are brought into the palace. This is where we get the exchange of dialogue that we mentioned before. Mbenga says, not having a past can be nice for a while. And La'an says, maybe some memories are worth the pain of others. And we talked about how the La'an side of things rings so true to her. But let's talk about the Mbenga side of things as well. And the reason why he was sent down there in the first place is this I wouldn't call it a pivot, but perhaps a deepening of the character in this season to honestly make him kick a bit more ass that he was a veteran of the Klingon War. We, of course, had him do the whole Rambo stuff in the first episode. 
what is your take on this illumination into Mbenga's past? And he's sort of coming to the same conclusion as La'an here of, I try to not think about that part of my past, but I have to embrace it as a part of myself. Yeah, well, I mean, we spent a lot of season one watching Mbenga basically delude himself and deny reality. And so I can I could see where eternal sunshining some stuff would be very attractive to him. So the fact that it's these two characters having this conversation is really interesting because we just watched Laon grapple with that last episode and we watched him grapple with it throughout season one. So I think I, I've enjoyed this character very much as well, because I think they managed to add new details onto him and allow him to discover new things about himself without feeling like we're betraying who the character fundamentally is. I agree for a couple of reasons. First, Babs Alusa McCoon has a lot of martial arts experience. So like, hell, you know, don't leave house money on the table. Utilize that. Let him kick some ass. But B, I actually think it's not that much of a pivot, as I mentioned before, because I think you go back to season one, as you mentioned, and so much of his content revolved around his daughter. And I feel like in saying goodbye to her, as he does in season one, episode eight, I do think we are able to shed a bit of that two-dimensional skin as him, as this nurturer, as this protector, as this father, and allows him to show perhaps a different side of himself. And so I do think allowing him to not have to think about this like very pressing issue and perhaps come to terms with who he really is, is, as we mentioned before, like a very small, subtle arc this season that, again, plays well when you look at all the episodes, but isn't necessarily something that feels at the forefront of the entire season overall. Yeah, for sure. And like, there was one more thing I wanted to make sure we highlighted about this episode. And Mm. I wanted to see if you have done the homework. Um, You know, speaking of liberal arts again, um, the title of the episode, The Lotus Eaters, do you know what that's from? Yeah, so this is a reference to the Odyssey. Of course, one of the many stops that poor Odysseus and his crew makes along the way is an island where people eat lotus leaves and as a result they forget about what they were doing where they were supposed to go who they have back home and so this is yet another thing where Odysseus has to save his crew from essentially getting misted into just staying there the entire time yeah this is a little bit more on the nose than previous episode titles yeah considering that last week was a Shakespeare reference and we didn't really have much to do with Macbeth whatsoever this was as you mentioned like very much hitting. I mean, when I thought we were going to get some Odyssey stuff, not like an outright story from it. But again, that is Star Trek, right? Is taking old stories and adapting them to a new lens. Just maybe not a story that old. Yeah. Like next next week, we're going to trick a giant into letting people into his cave by saying that you're nobody. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so wait for that to happen. Maybe we'll just get, get an all Odyssey season. That should have been Voyager, honestly. Yeah, you know... When the quantum computer starts spitting out infinite Star Trek scenarios, Star Trek Odyssey is going to be on there. It even sounds like a Star Trek series, right? Yeah, it sounds like the name of a ship, to be completely honest. I'm sure we'll check Memory Alpha. I'm sure there's a ship named the Odyssey at some point. Yeah, I'm sure. So someone else who's not exactly brimming with happiness right now, or maybe he is, is Luke, who we see just like crying on the stairs of the palace as Pike goes to check on him. Luke now remembers that he had a family. He had a son. He talked about it beforehand. As you mentioned, he had gotten tattoos of them and seemingly blotted over them. So he had no idea who the people he was that he loved that either he left behind or vice versa. And he'll fully admit with his chest, he was wrong. Thank you for giving them all back to me. And he feels like now all the Kalar should be able to know about your past. And if That isn't just like the rubber stamp as to what the message of this episode is between that exchange between La'an and Mbenga and this. I don't know what is. Yeah. Like in some small way, I feel like every episode this season has gone back to that well of like the terrible things that happen to you make you who you are. Right. Which is interesting considering that I've seen a couple of comments on the Star Trek Reddit about how they felt like we have not done a lot of the usually Deep Space Nine-esque like gray endings in the pale moonlight i lied i cheated i bribed men to cover the crimes of other men and then computer erased that entire personal log i i would quibble a bit that i think last episode had a bit of that of laon clearly being very miserable about what she's been conscripted to do 
I don't disagree about with this episode, though, where they sort of walk away, and especially we'll get into how Enterprise resolves this situation with, like, it's okay, we value all our memories, good and bad, problem solved. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it was a little bit too neat, but, you know, it was bittersweet, but it was also more sweet than bitter on balance. Well, let's get to a very sweet final log from Ortega's here it turns out that the stuff that was causing the radiation was actually coming from the debris not from the natural environment of rigel 7 itself and so spock was able to devise a shield harmonic to protect at least enterprise so they could pull off this final maneuver first off ortegas is going to say when you do the same thing every day it's easy to forget how important that thing is how awesome that thing is i won't let that happen again i'm erica ortegas and i fly the ship and what a relatable lesson, Jess, in my opinion. I think that I'm speaking on behalf of you as well, that like we both count ourselves extraordinarily lucky between our families, what we get to do here, our occupations, etc. And I think very much, even if you absolutely love what you do, there are many times you don't see the forest for the trees, where whether you're having a bad day or you're just hyper fixating on certain things, we don't necessarily focus on the positive, awesome things that we get to do just by stepping foot on this planet every 24 hours. And it's always a good reminder. And unfortunately, it can come in times of tragedy, or sometimes it comes in spurts where you just forget who you are for a hot second, that you really realize the fantastic stuff you get to do and the things that you truly love and sometimes take for granted. Yeah, it's true. It's a, it's a good reminder. So the other thing that happens to resolve all this is the Kalar are going to be able to remember as well, because as I mentioned before, the Enterprise is seemingly going to take this asteroid that crashed on the planet thousands of years ago that is the source of all this trouble, and they're going to hurl it back into the debris field, going, going, gone, Spock is going to lampshade here. Isn't this a violation of the Prime Directive <laughs> that we are just taking this thing and getting rid of it on the planet? But Pike says, well, I think an asteroid crashing here a thousand years ago stopped natural development in the first place. I, I don't think that's true, Mr. Pike. I'm so sorry to say it. I'm so happy you got more of a focus in this episode for the first time in Strange New Worlds. And it's not like we haven't seen captains bend the prime directive beforehand, but this logic is weak sauce. No, this is a CYA move 100%, because if they find out all the ways that Zack violated the prime directive, everybody's going to be in a lot of trouble for leaving him behind there in the first place. Right. I guess, is it the equivalent of like, data you know leaving his head in the cave back in time's yeah, arrow yes. of like well you made this society advance far beyond it and so pike's like well i'm just gonna try to undo it or two wrongs make a right in this case yeah i mean the you know that bell's already been rung you can't unring it so you might as well at least like make things suck a little less for them i'm glad though so soon after the prime directive became it back in the first episode of season one that we already have people exploiting it. I mean, I know it's going to get brought up to April and the trial episode a couple of weeks ago, but Pike's like, great new law. Let me see all the loopholes I can use to help save the day. Yeah. Well, I mean, isn't star Trek at its core, like all about all the ways we trample on the prime directive. Exactly. That is our credo. That is our, my name is Erica Ortegas. I fly the ship. My name is Christopher Pike. I break the prime directive. Yeah, I mean, my name is Jean-Luc Picard. I break the Prime Directive. So let's see that even though the Prime Directive is broken, Patel's heart will not be, as she and Pike will have a reunion. Distant, both physically and emotionally, at first, where Pike is going to come to her, hat in hand, borrowed one from Ortegas, and basically said, I was wrong, I acted like an ass, I figure only a handful of people in the galaxy know what it's like to be a Starfleet captain, and that that is while something that keeps us busy, something that allows us to find solace in each other. And he talks about this talisman that got him in the very beginning of this episode, uh, something to guide lost sailors home. And he commends her. She brought him home. And indeed, this was something he was clutching onto literally through the entire episode of like, this feels like something I need to get back to. And there's this really sweet final moment, in my opinion, that I think is such a fantastic button that again, I don't mind the lack of murkiness where she walks up to Pike, kisses him, and tells him, let me see where the next 30 minutes take us. And I just love that as such a, a take on, again, Luke's idea of live in the moment, that it's a, a nice cheeky way of, 
we'll take things one step at a time. And that's something that Pike took from the planet in more ways than one. Yeah, we're going to go live in the moment for 30 minutes, if you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Uh, make a lot of special sauce in that way. Uh, but <laughs> that does it for Among the Lotus Eaters. Something I, I noted at the end here that I think, to your point, also plays interestingly back into the canon is people have wondered, okay, how does this translate to the cage? Why was Pike in such a mood going into the cage? Why was he like so surprised to see a woman on the bridge when he has an entire crew that's full of them here in Strange New World? And I think some people were able to retcon that <laughs> perhaps the first time that they had left Rigel, that they didn't get a full wallop of memory losing radiation, but they got like just enough perhaps to get some like momentary mindlessness so that perhaps some of those details that don't exactly jibe with the way that the current enterprise was under Pike wouldn't make more sense in retrospect. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's all a very good observation, Mike. All right. So next week we move on to the halfway point of Star Trek Strange New Worlds season two charades. Now, should we take this title as literally as the last one? I mean, it, it could be one of those things where everybody's afflicted by the inability to speak, and they often yeah, just like Buffy out. all over again. <laughs> yep, I, we're just taking we're just taking notes from Buffy now. Yeah, I mean, listen, I could think of better and worse places to take it from, I suppose, but we shall see. What I suspect is that we are going to get into some sort of conflict with like the Romulans, the Klingons, maybe even the Gorn. I feel like the Gorn haven't popped up since that big stinger at the end of episode one. And then we'll lead to some charades being done on both ends. But Jess, thank you so much for engaging in some charades with me for this particular episode. We have had so much fun at covering Strange New Worlds so far. I'm sad that it's reached the halfway point, considering, again, this very different set of four episodes we've gotten over the past month. Yeah, this is such a it's such a great series, and I can't believe it took me so long to get into it because it's you know it's the best of the new Trek by, and it's not close. Well, Jess, you mentioned this on another podcast that you are about to plug. Usually when it comes to podcasting for you, it is feast or famine, and you are devouring podcasts right now, like you are sitting at that banquet table within the Kalar Palace. Talk to the listeners about what you're working on right now. Yeah, I mean, inject that special sauce straight into my veins, Mike. Um, <laughs> I, I'm over here on Post Show Recaps. Um, I am doing, I'm a regular panelist on The Walking Dead recap podcast where we're talking about dead city right now with uh aj mass josh wiggler and Chappelle, and we are covering that every week and then over on rob's podcast we are covering tough as nails you and i and rob's sister nino are talking about that and then dan heaton and i are talking about amazing race canada which kicked off this week so lots going on how do you think laon and kirk would do as an amazing race canada team um it's hard to say yeah, I mean, it's tough because do they have an advantage from being from the future or would it be a disadvantage considering how long it took them to acclimate to modern times? Well, I mean, I mean, Pike can see everything that happens to him over the course of his life. So it's going to be one of those things where he already knows how he's going to do. That is true as well. Uh, and I would imagine that if he also spent too much time on Rigel and tried to go to the Amazing Race, no sob stories, right? No pictures from home because he would have no idea who he was or what he was doing. Yeah, all he knows is how to race. I mean, people say they, they run the Amazing Race one leg at a time, and perhaps the people of Rigel would be the most apt to do so. Maybe so. Well, we are podcasting one episode at a time here, and so next week we hit the halfway point with Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Thank you all so much for listening, as per usual. We'll be back next week. Until then, I would like the pod to go now. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.